Chapter One, Part Two of Victorian Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kathleen. Victorian Literature by Clement Shorter. The catalogue of great English poets of the period is completed with the names of Rossetti and Morris. Perhaps there is no more romantic figure in modern literature than Dante Gabriel Rossetti, eighteen twenty eight to eighteen eighty two, although he has suffered cruelly from the biographer. His father, Gabriel, was an Italian exile, a critic of Dante, a teacher of Italian in London. His mother was a sister of the notorious Polidori, whose charlatanry is remembered wherever an interest in Lord Byron prevails. The younger Rossetti had relatives, a brother, William Michael, who has written verses, criticisms, and a ponderous biography of Gabriel, and a sister, Maria Francesca Rossetti, 1827-1876, to whose shadow of Dante makes good reading for admirers of the great Florentine, and, indeed, may be recommended to every English student of Dante. Another sister, Christina Georgina Rossetti, 1830-1894, to wrote many books she will live by her goblin market eighteen sixty two and by numerous short poems books of the type of called to be saints and the face of the deep a commentary on the revelation have also won her much affection and admiration from religious sympathizers she was not responsible for maud and new poems inadequate works which her brother thought fit to publish after her death they are practically worthless Dante Rossetti was a considerable painter as well as a poet. His name is written large in that pre-Raphaelite movement which gave him four associates, Mr. Holman, Hunt, and Sir John Millais. The movement which had Mr. John Ruskin for its literary champion, when reduced to simple statement, meant a harking back to early medieval art. Sir John Millais and Mr. Holman Hunt speedily abandoned this position, and Rossetti himself was never a pre-Raphaelite in any real sense. The pre-Raphaelites issued in 1850 a journal under the editorship of Rossetti's brother, and to the germ, as it was called, Rossetti contributed his poem, The Blessed Damozel, and A Story, Hand and Soul, to the germ, also Thomas Wilner, 1825-1892, to The Sculptor, contributed the poems of My Beautiful Lady one epoch in the life of rossetti was his introduction to mr ruskin and another was his first acquaintance with william morris ruskin bought his pictures with characteristic generosity and further assisted rossetti to publish the early italian poets eighteen sixty one afterwards reprinted as dante in his circle eighteen seventy four william morris introduced rossetti to his oxford friends including mr swinburne and to the oxford and cambridge magazine in which many of his finest poems were published after his wife's death from an overdose of laudanum in eighteen sixty two rossetti moved to queen's house cheney walk where for a time he had for associates in payment of rent mr swinburne and mr george meredith though the latter never actually lived in the house from that time to his death he published many important poems ballads of singular power like the white ship the king's tragedy and sister helen in the many splendid sonnets of the house of life the two volumes of rossetti's collected works must always command readers rossetti died at birchington on sea and a simple tomb in the churchyard marks his grave the name of william morris eighteen thirty four to eighteen ninety six 
closes the list of victorian poets of the first rank morris was as versatile as rossetti he touched many branches of art with remarkable success now he was designing wallpapers and became a successful manufacturer in this branch of commerce now he was indefatigable in printing notable books in english literature from a type which he had himself selected the wallpaper has given a new direction to the decoration of english houses and the kelmscott press has added many beautiful books to our libraries and given an impetus to a revival of taste in printing this was but a part of morris's life although a rich man he was a vigorous lecturer on behalf of socialism and wrote many books such as for example the dream of john ball eighteen eighty eight and news from nowhere eighteen ninety one in support of his ideals from the appearance of his defence of guinevere eighteen fifty eight and life and death of jason eighteen sixty seven he was always publishing and his translations from homer virgil and scandinavian literature make a small library by themselves but a practical handbook to victorian literature needs but to mention one of his books the earthly paradise eighteen sixty eight to seventy will live as long as the love of good story-telling remains to us the tales are told by twenty-four travellers who desire to find the earthly paradise and the book opens as do the canterbury tales with a prologue the lyrical introduction is one of the most quotable things in our later literature of heaven or hell i have no power to sing i cannot ease the burden of your fears or make quick coming death a little thing or bring again the pleasure of past years nor for my words shall ye forget your tears or hope again for aught that i can say the idle singer of an empty day dreamer of dreams born out of my due time why should i strive to set the crooked straight let it suffice me that my murmuring rhyme beats with a light wing against the ivory gate telling a tale not too importunate to those who in the sleepy region stay lulled by the singer of an empty day folk say a wizard to a northern king at christmas tide such wondrous things did show that through one window men beheld the spring and through another saw the summer glow and through a third the fruited vines arow while still unheard but in its wonted way pipe the drear wind of that december day william morris has not seldom been confused with a writer with whom he had nothing in common but the name sir lewis morris eighteen thirty three a welsh squire and candidate for parliament has stood for convention as decisively as william morris has stood against it his songs of two worlds eighteen seventy one to five and epic of hades eighteen seventy six brought him a considerable popularity which a vision of saints and later books have not been able to maintain another literary knight of our time who has secured a large share of public attention through his verse is sir edwin arnold eighteen thirty two whose light of asia interpreted to many the story of buddha's career a poem upon christ and christianity the light of the world owed the fact of its smaller success to the greater familiarity of the public with its main incidents sir edwin arnold has won other laurels as a traveller and as a journalist some of the best poetry of the era has been produced by writers whose principal achievements are in the realm of prose the brontes charles kingsley george meredith and george eliot to name but a few 
all wrote verse which must ultimately have secured attention had they not made great reputations as novelists assuredly the three most successful poems in victorian literature of that portion of it which is already passing into oblivion are proverbial philosophy festus and philip van artfeld the proverbial philosophy of martin farker tupper eighteen ten to eighteen eighty nine created an excitement in literary and non-literary circles which it is difficult for the present generation to comprehend it is true that when it was first published in eighteen thirty eight it was greeted by the athenaeum as a book not likely to please beyond the circle of a few minds as eccentric as the author's in spite of this it sold in thousands and hundreds of thousands it went through over nine hundred editions in england and five hundred thousand copies at least were sold in america it was translated into french german and many other tongues its author was a popular hero although of his later books including ballads for the times raleigh his life and death and cythera the very names are by this time forgotten of proverbial philosophy itself there are few enough copies in demand to-day and it is difficult for us to place ourselves in the position of those who felt its charm what to the early victorian era was counted for wisdom and piety and even for beauty counts to the present age for mere commonplace verbiage tupper's name has taken a place in our language as the contemptuous synonym for a poetester festus on the other hand although not read to-day has always commanded respectful attention its author philip james bailey eighteen sixteen wrote festus in its first form at the age of twenty and it was published in eighteen thirty nine the book was enlarged again and again till it reached to three times its original length it may be that this enlargement has had something to do with its fate festus was frequently compared to the best work of goethe and mr browning even a more pronounced recognition accrued to the dramatic poems of sir henry taylor eighteen hundred to eighteen eighty six and more particularly to philip van artfeld eighteen thirty four which was described by the quarterly review as the noblest effort in the true old taste of our english historical drama that has been made for more than a century and which attracted the keenest attention of all sir henry taylor's contemporaries his entertaining autobiography has told us that taylor who was an important official at the colonial office knew all the famous men of his time women have occupied no small share in the literary history of the past sixty years although it is in fiction that their most enduring triumphs have been secured the most popular women poets next in order to mrs browning have been eliza cook and jean ingelow eliza cook eighteen eighteen to eighteen eighty nine wrote for the most part the kind of verses which would now be rejected by the editor of the poet's corner of a provincial newspaper she would be little more than a vague memory were it not for the old armchair but she has other claims to consideration in the forties and the fifties eliza cook's journal was one of the most prominent publications of the day and it did much for the cause of literature and philanthropy jean ingelow eighteen twenty to eighteen ninety seven survived as did eliza cook to see her verse well-nigh forgotten and yet it is stated that two hundred thousand copies of her poems have been sold in america alone miss ingelow who was born in boston lincolnshire and died in london will live in anthologies by her ballad high tide on the coast of lincolnshire by a song in 
supper at the mill and by sundry short poems a certain brighter and more humorous kind of verse had its beginnings with thomas hood and the author of the ingoldsby legends thomas hood seventeen ninety eight eighteen forty five has endeared himself to the whole reading world by his song of the shirt eighteen forty four and his dream of eugene aram eighteen twenty nine is not less familiar but in addition to this he had an abundance of wit and drollery side by side with pathos and tenderness which will always make a splendid tradition and a great inspiration hood was a journalist his prototype richard harris barham seventeen eighty eight to eighteen forty five was an anglican clergyman his pseudonym of thomas ingoldsby calls up memories of some of the quaintest and drollest verse ever written the ingoldsby legends were first contributed to bentley's miscellany and afterwards collected in volumes the jackdaw of reims is the most popular barnham's once successful novel my cousin nicholas is now all but forgotten the most famous successors of hood and barnham have been calverley and mr austin dobson charles stuart calverley eighteen thirty one to eighteen eighty four wrote fly-leaves and verses and translations mr dobson has published in addition to many valuable prose works the exquisite vignettes in rhyme and proverbs in porcelain which with mr andrew lang's ballads in blue china form a dainty contribution to the lighter literature of the epoch a determination to say as little as possible concerning writers still young in years though already famous will make it may be my summary of victorian poetry seem inadequate to many mr trail a discerning critic has specified some hundred or more minor poets who flourish to-day but it cannot be doubted that the minor poet of our era with his excellent technique his deep feeling and his high-minded impulsiveness is separated by an immense gulf from the minor poet of an earlier period the pies and the haleys who were famous in an age when criticism was less of an art had little enough of the real poetical faculty that faculty can scarcely be denied to the hundred or more of living bards who now claim the suffrages of the poetry-loving reader it cannot be denied also to many men who have passed away during the present era to alexander smith and sidney dubell in one period and to coventry patmore and james thompson in another alexander smith eighteen thirty to eighteen sixty seven was an industrious essayist as well as a poet tennyson and mrs browning concurred in their esteem of smith as a poet whose works show fancy and not imagination and this might with truth be said of too many of the minor bards and indeed constitutes the dividing line sidney yindi's under which pseudonym sidney dubell eighteen twenty four to eighteen seventy four cooperated with smith in sonnets on the war eighteen fifty five was a poet of similar temperament coventry patmore eighteen twenty three to eighteen ninety six is known to the many through his angel in the house a poem upon domestic bliss which breathed a note not always sincere but to which mr ruskin assured a certain popularity through effective quotation in his sesame and lilies a certain ecstatic band of admirers attach more importance to patmore's unknown eros these admirers spoiled him by adulation he probably looked forward with the same keen assurance to the verdict of posterity as did southey and posterity it is all but certain will be as ruthless in the one case as in the other 
patmore's life was one of luxury and independence quite the reverse was the fate of james thompson eighteen thirty four to eighteen eighty two whose great poem the city of dreadful night was published in mr charles bradlaugh's national reformer in eighteen seventy four and not republished as a book until eighteen eighty thompson had a melancholy career which ended in drink and disaster he died in university hospital london his city of dreadful night is peculiarly a reflection of the age that is passing it secured even during the poet's life the commendation of george eliot of george meredith and of other critics and it may yet command a large audience who breathe the note of pessimism which was always characteristic of the writer the sense that every struggle brings defeat because fate holds no prize to crown success that all the oracles are dumb or cheat because they have no secret to express that none can pierce the vast black veil uncertain because there is no light beyond the curtain that all is vanity and nothingness a poet whom one names with peculiar reverence is thomas audbury de vere eighteen fourteen the son of sir audbury de vere who was also a poet audbury de vere the younger knew and loved wordsworth to whom in eighteen forty two he dedicated the waldenses a lyrical tale and yet retains sixty years later the most sympathetic interest in modern literary effort mr de vere is an irishman and was educated at trinity college dublin he has written many volumes of poetry and prose his dramatic poems alexander the great and st thomas of canterbury having no doubt been largely inspired by the successes of his friend and relative sir henry taylor and by his father's brilliant drama mary tudor one of his most recent books was a volume of critical essays containing a notable study of wordsworth irishmen have been fairly conspicuous in the poetry of the epic and the term celtic renaissance has begun to be used hopefully by lovers of ireland who desire that country to have a literature as distinctly irish as scotland has a literature definitely scottish thomas moore seventeen seventy nine to eighteen fifty two was the pioneer of this movement he had it is true done all his work before the queen came to the throne although he lived yet another fifteen years his irish melodies began to appear in eighteen o seven lalla rook was published in eighteen seventeen and the life of byron in eighteen thirty moore was as much an inspiration to modern ireland as burns to modern scotland and the one country holds the name of its poet as reverentially in memory as does the other moore however lacked the note of passionate sincerity which pertained to burns although we may fairly ask what would have been the career of burns had he been thrown early into the literary and social life of london the london of byron's time the influence of moore was strong in thomas davis eighteen fourteen to eighteen forty five whose national and historical ballads songs and poems caused so great a ferment in the heart of young ireland many other irish writers deserve to be named such as james clarence mangan eighteen o three to eighteen forty nine sir samuel ferguson eighteen ten to eighteen eighty six lady dufferin eighteen o seven to eighteen sixty seven and john banham seventeen ninety eight to eighteen forty two who wrote in conjunction with his brother michael some twenty-four volumes of irish stories and verses samuel lover seventeen ninety seven to eighteen sixty eight is best known in england by his romance rory o'more and his ever popular handy andy but in ireland he is remembered as a writer of lyrics 
and ballads of heart-stirring character an irishman by descent although not by birth was edward fitzgerald eighteen o nine to eighteen eighty three who was born in suffolk and lived all his life in the neighbourhood of woodbridge in that county fitzgerald's letters and literary remains fill three substantial volumes but he lives for us by his translation or rather paraphrase of the rubiat of omar khayyam of nashapur which first appeared in eighteen fifty nine it is generally agreed that fitzgerald a nineteenth-century pagan always reverently questioning the mystery of existence superadded his own personal thoughts and feelings to the verses of the old persian singer in doing this he touched deeply a certain aspect of the second half of the nineteenth century and founded a cult fitzgerald's verses however have been ardently admired by many who are far from accepting their pessimist view of life hartley coleridge seventeen ninety six to eighteen forty nine wrote and published his admirable sonnets before eighteen thirty seven he was a son of samuel taylor coleridge seventeen seventy two to eighteen thirty four whose literary remains were edited by henry nelson coleridge a nephew and son-in-law h n coleridge married the great poet's only daughter sarah coleridge eighteen o three to eighteen fifty two who wrote one poem phantasmion and whose letters throw much light on an important chapter of literary history brian waller proctor seventeen eighty seven to eighteen seventy four better known as barry cornwall was at school with lord byron at harrow his dramatic scenes marcian colonna and mirandola were much talked of in their day proctor was admired as a poet by byron moore and other famous contemporaries but no one reads him now a happier fate has befallen his daughter adelaide anne proctor eighteen twenty five to eighteen sixty four whose legends and lyrics are still widely popular winthrop mackworth period who wrote much admirable humorous and satirical verse is not a victorian author although his present popularity makes that rather hard to realize he died in eighteen thirty nine richard hengis horn eighteen o three to eighteen eighty four on the other hand although he lived into our time is now remembered only by his friendship with mrs browning and by the humorous freak of publishing his epic orion at a farthing he was the author of a miracle play entitled judas iscariot a tragedy entitled the death of marlowe and many other works another writer of well-nigh forgotten tragedies was thomas lovell bedoes eighteen o three to eighteen forty nine who wrote the bride's tragedy and death's jest book a like extinction it is to be feared has befallen ebenezer jones and ebenezer elliot the former of whom belonged to that spasmodic school of poets of which alexander smith and philip james bailey were supposed to be the leaders ebenezer jones eighteen twenty to eighteen sixty wrote studies in sensation and event to which in eighteen seventy nine his brother sumner jones attached an interesting biography there is very genuine poetry in the volume but it is not likely to be republished ebenezer elliot seventeen eighty one to eighteen forty nine had a very different fate he enjoyed for many years the suffrages of the multitude his corn law rhymes played a considerable part in the political agitation of the period james montgomery called him the poet of the poor another writer with a fine democratic impulse was gerald massey eighteen twenty eight who was associated with the chartist movement 
and wrote poems and charms and voices of freedom and lyrics of love another chartist was thomas cooper eighteen o five to eighteen ninety two who wrote the purgatory of suicides and many other poems and an entertaining autobiography cooper was an active political agitator and was in prison for two years in stafford jail for sedition a poet who holds a great place in the minds of many is william barnes eighteen twenty to eighteen eighty six who kept a school for a time in mr thomas hardy's town of dorchester he afterwards became a clergyman and rector of winterbourne came he was a philologist as well as a poet and published many works on language his interest for us here is in his poems of rural life in the dorset dialect eighteen forty four another poet clergyman of great learning was robert stephen hawker eighteen o three to eighteen seventy five whose work reflects devonshire and cornwall as barnes reflects dorsetshire he wrote the song of the western men which he deceived macaulay into believing to be an old cornish ballad and the great historian introduced it into his history of england as an example of the excitement caused by the arrest of the seven bishops its stirring refrain and shall trelawney die and shall trelawney die then thirty thousand cornish boys will know the reason why will always keep hawker in remembrance he was vicar of morinstow and wrote several volumes of poems and some prose including footprints of former men in far cornwall two poets father and son made the name of marston honored in their days john westland marston eighteen nineteen to eighteen ninety was born at boston lincolnshire he wrote two dramas strathmore and marie de Mirani, which had much success some years ago another work a hard struggle attained the enthusiastic praise of dickens dr garnet claims for marston that he was long the chief upholder of the political drama on the english stage philip burke marston eighteen fifty to eighteen eighty seven a son of westland marston should not have failed of literary success as he had for godfather philip james bailey the author of festus and for godmother miss mullock author of john halifax gentleman he however became blind at three years of age he published three volumes of verse song tide and other poems eighteen seventy one all in all eighteen seventy five and wind voices eighteen eighty three they were never popular although his poetry gained him the esteem of many eminent men rossetti and mr swinburne among others mrs chandler moulton an american lady who wrote swallow flights gave us a memoir of philip burke marston in this she was assisted by mr william sharp who was also one of rossetti's biographers mrs moulton did a like good office to the memory of arthur o'shaughnessy eighteen forty four to eighteen eighty one a poet of considerable distinction in his day o'shaughnessy married the younger marston's sister his epic of women and other poems published in eighteen seventy was a volume of great promise he wrote other verses which never attained quite the same measure of success it only remains for me to name alfred austin eighteen thirty five the poet laureate after lord tennyson's death in eighteen ninety two the office remained vacant for four years the two poets who might have been considered to have had some claim william morris and mr swinburne were supposed to be impossible 
on account of democratic sympathies although it is doubtful if either would have accepted the office almost every living poet however small the bulk of his achievement and however inconsiderable his ears was nominated by the press in turn finally in eighteen ninety six by a pleasant irony of circumstances the laureateship was given to a journalist mr austin had been a leader writer on the staff of the standard newspaper for many years he has written the golden age a satire eighteen seventy one savonarola eighteen eighty one english lyrics eighteen ninety one and many prose works his english lyrics contain an appreciative introduction by william watson the author of wordsworth's grave lacrimae musarum and other poems which have been received with abundant cordiality by the press and public another living poet who has been well and justly praised is rudyard kipling eighteen sixty four he made his earliest fame as a writer of short stories of indian military life soldiers three and we willie winky have entirely captivated the imagination of mr kipling's contemporaries it is as a poet however that he will perhaps longest retain his hold upon them his barrack room ballads eighteen ninety two are finely touched with that martial spirit which so strongly appeals to the heart of our nation End of chapter one part two